Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. This is an anomaly. We have a Monday episode of Ranks FC going out on the main feed, and that's because this week we've started our preview series. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today as we look towards the Bundesliga. And joining me is Mr. Sam Tide, the Rank God. How you doing, mate? Hello, my friend. Yes, uh, ooh, late Monday afternoon, free feed. What world is this? Yeah, it's a, it's a scary new world as we as we head towards another season. But we wanted some genuine expertise to go alongside you today, Sam. So we brought in our old friend, Mr. John McKenzie, of now of the mighty Tifo Football. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat to you guys on rank. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
yeah, I'm looking forward to this too. So, John, you've basically grouped the table into a variety of categories, and we're going to kind of work our way down it as we go, starting you know at the top of the table in the title race and ending in those relegation discussions. So, I'm going to hand it over and uh, to a power higher than my own, and we'll work our way through the Bundesliga. Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to say before we kicked off that when I'm doing predictive stuff, I'm always keen to say that I think the most important thing is continuity. Um, so for me, the teams that are, are probably going to hold their places in the table are those teams that don't have too much going on in terms of new managers, new players, uh, or maybe things going on off the field as well. So I, I think last Bundesliga season was qu- quite an outlier in many respects. Like There was a few bigger teams that didn't perform as well. We saw a group of teams getting European football who we just didn't really expect to necessarily at the beginning of this, the season as well. So what I've done is I've, I've grouped the teams in terms of where they finished in the in the previous season so last season uh, and I think we can have a good chat a chat about the teams that we think are going to hold their places and and those teams that are going to maybe drop into in, into a different section as well so hopefully that's good for everyone yeah, yeah absolutely very excited about this um let's kick things off at the top then Mm, yeah, so um, in terms of the Champions League spots, I think that the teams, so I've got the four teams there. I think these four teams are going to be in those top four spots again this time around. We can have a chat about some of the potential challenges um, as we go on, but I think that these are the teams to beat in terms of getting into the Champions League spot. So I've got Bayern Munich, Bayer Leverkusen, Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig. And I think I know we weren't going to do any uh, ranking, but I, I, that's pretty much my ordering, I think. Bayern Munich... You're just they're just always the team to beat. I think they're going to be good this season. We've already seen the um, the, the performance against RB Leipzig at the weekend. Uh, it looks like Julian Nagelsmann's got some interesting ideas, maybe some tactical tweaks that we can we can see. They brought in some fun players, and I think it, again they're just going to be the team to beat in terms of the title title races. And then yeah, Leverkusen after that, Dortmund. I think some people are being a little bit. Um, Omming and ahhing a little bit about Dortmund, um, but I think there's some pros and cons which we'll come to as we as we talk about them. And and then RB Leipzig, maybe a team that I'm a little bit lower on out of the the top four yeah. than than a lot of other people. So that's why I've I've uh, ordered it the, the way that I have. Yeah, yeah, I mean, let's start with Bayern here. They've gone hard, haven't they, this summer? I mean, I know that, that in response to losing a player like Robert Lewandowski, you do have to make certain moves. Uh, to rebalance the team, maybe, to keep fans happy, to distract people almost, because it's a bit of a disaster scenario when you lose a striker of this caliber, you know, probably the world's best number nine, and he's gone. And I don't really think we ever thought we'd get to this point. So Sadio Mane comes in, completely different profile of player. Nusser Masraoui at right back, very interesting indeed. They went double I, uh, double Ajax, sorry, with Ryan Hravenberg. They've picked up a couple of others as well, a young striker in Tell. How do you see Bayern like actually lining up? Because Nagelsmann went through all sorts of different phases last year. Um, Including uh, the no fullbacks phase, which yeah. is one of my least favourite things of all time. The three centre-backs and the wingers skip the fullbacks. I mean, do, do you really have an idea of, of what Bayern are going to look like? Or are you like me and you're just quite confused? Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talking about the Lewandowski impact. Uh, the fact that he's, he's left and... I think for most clubs, you would see something like that. I mean, something like that probably wouldn't happen. They would have probably done their damnedest to keep him at the club. Um, But when it comes to Julian Nagelsmann, who I see as being like a a system coach, it does sort of raise interesting questions about whether or not you can maybe get more out of the system without a player like Lewandowski, particularly when you bring in someone like Sadio Mane, um, who I think is, it's just, it's obviously he's not as, 
lethal a striker as as Lewandowski, but he is just so much well better rounded than than Lewandowski. You can play him in the wide areas as well. You can play him up front. You can have him dropping in a little bit. You can rely on his off ball stuff uh, a lot more than than Lewandowski as well. Uh, and that's what I found so fascinating about the game against RB Leipzig at the weekend. Actually, the um, I'm going to say the German version of the Charity Shield because it's not even called that anymore. It's the Community Shield, but um, yeah, I'm not sure what, what's what, what's what are they what are the Germans call it? Super Cup, isn't it? Super Cup, Super yeah. Cup. Yeah. DFL Super, Super Cup. Cup. Yeah. Um, so already questioning my expert status here, but um, <laughs> yeah, really fascinating game because it felt as though uh, the the the, the Bayern that I saw, and I'm not someone who watches a lot of Bayern. I've got to be honest. I watch. I'm a Freiburg fan. I'll I'll be honest about that at the beginning uh, and so the only times I really watch Bayern uh, maybe in the Classica um, uh, but only when they're playing um, Freiburg outside of that because Bayern always win don't they I watch them a bit in the Champions League too um, but what really struck me about watching them in the Super Cup was that um, they, they seem to be playing a lot of the the sort of th- the ideals that I expect from like Red Bull coaches so um, they they were they had a very sort of clear Red Bull structure in their build-up phase. They were playing the ball around through the, the the back line, but aiming to get it through the middle. They were playing very directly. Those sort of penetrative passes that you expect to see up to forward players who can then play up back and through moves um, to to central players as well. The pressing structures were quite similar as well. Um, you had those four players um, in the forward areas who were very very rotational, maybe a bit more rotational than most Red Bull coaches, and obviously a little bit more of a um, a reliance on possession but I, th- I thought it was really interesting seeing that and I, I just wondered whether or not maybe because of the ability to play Sadio Mane then he's going to have the opportunity to, to actually play quite an, an intense pressing and direct transitional game so yeah I expect him to carry on playing similar to that I think it was a 4-2-3-1 but out of possession looks very similar to a, like a four almost like a 4-4-2 or 4-2-4 um, and yeah I don't know I guess we would expect Masrawi to, to be uh, a regular starter. Um, Gravenberch can come in ahead of Sabitz, I think, was playing. Um, you, you'll have Sadio Mane as well. I think we've got Matej Delegt as well to, to bring in at the back. Um, so I think that the yeah the Super Cup is how I expect them to, to line up, really. Yeah. I it's mean, the Sane one was, was interesting, I thought. Um, you know, a lack of Leroy Sane, and, and I know he hasn't had a particularly brilliant preseason. And, you know, watching that game against Man City, and, you know, we always make the same caveats, right? That you don't want to read all that much into it. But I thought he went missing in that game against City. And, you know, so much so that Nagelsmann has decided not to play him. And, you know, what what's, looks like it's going to be a relatively settled team when the season begins. As you say, there's a couple of bits and bobs which you'd imagine might change. Masraoui. Gravenberg, who I think is going to probably rotate with Goretzka for, for a Goretzka's lot of this season. injured for like two months now, isn't um, he? Sorry. Yes, but so Sabitz has stepped in there. You'd imagine that Gravenberg gets minutes in that kind of rotation. But Leroy Sano was the one, you know, being dropped for Musiala, and no, we all we all like Musiala. No, no one's gonna no one's gonna pretend that they don't. But I thought that was an interesting thing to to kind of make note of early doors. Yeah, that's a massive call, isn't it? Like playing Musiala ahead of ahead of Sane. Um, but Musiala, really interesting how he was used. Even talking about Gravenberg there as well, um, he, I thought that he would have been used as one of the double pivots, but they mm. did bring him in in a more attacking berth as well. So there's definitely going to be some interesting I- ideas there. Um, but yeah, if if that structure is the way that Nagelsmann is going to play most of the season, the big question is like, where do you play? Leroy Sané, like where does he fit in? If you're gonna, if you're gonna be playing a sort of fairly intense pressing, um, direct attacking play with with a lot of centrality, then I feel as though you lose a lot of um, 
I could get this right, Sane's, Sane's upside, because um, I, I see him as being someone who's just great in, in the in wider areas in particular. But uh, I don't know if you guys have any th- thoughts on that. I mean, look, we know now that Sane is not your typical modern winger. Uh, they tried him on the right, cutting in on the left, and he got lost, put him back on the left, and he felt much more comfortable. There were just certain angles that he wants to play at, seemingly on the left-hand side, that just suit him in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. they don't suit most other players. So, you know, make the most of that if you can. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the centre back core and thinking you can't play two; you have to play three. Um, so there's another there's another question for you there. Like, how does how does Nagelsmann um, manage now four four centre backs who probably think who all well, what I said in the previous podcast was they all think they're the best centre back in the room. How do you how do you manage that? And how do you manage if you only play two out of three? So um, there's all sorts of questions here. But the, the thing that I guess will bug a lot of people is that I think all three of us think Bayern are going to win the title again. So you've got all these question marks over Bayern Munich. They've lost Robert Lewandowski, you know, one of the greatest goal scorers in Bundesliga history. There's tons of question marks over the attacking rotations, how they line up, who's happy at the back, who plays at fullback. And yet, I don't have any faith in the rest of the cast to really close that gap. And John, I imagine you're the same. And I guess that conversation starts with Dortmund, who've made some really good moves this summer but still feel the level down, don't they? And there's the Sebastian Allaire unfortunate case that has kind of put a spanner in the works too. Yeah, I'd say that Dortmund have, as you said, they've just done some really smart signings. They brought in players that um, that they needed to bring in um, to to get to the next level, and then they've ended the summer without the coach that they started the summer with, in, in that sort of bizarre situation, which saw Marco Rosa move on. And yeah, I, I think the frustration is probably there for a lot of people that. Every summer we're in the same situation. We have the same the the sort of same sort of media fallout with with three, four, five months to go of the season, and we're like, oh great, Bayern again, the procession. Maybe next time, maybe next time. And I feel as though we've we've almost got that accelerated even more this summer because we're going into the into the the year already thinking there's just too much going on at Dortmund for for us to expect them to hit the ground running quickly enough to actually be able to challenge Bayern from the off. I don't think Bayern are going to necessarily going to blow everyone away this, this, this season, but you, you can't afford to spend a couple of months getting going in this, in this title race. So yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see what they've done because I I really like the moves that they've made, the players that they've brought in. Um, There's a lot of sort of nerd favorites in there, isn't there? Um, To, to, (laughs) to get everyone excited. And, um, but bringing in Edin Terzic again, sort of for me is one of those weird appointments that I think he's going to be a manager who will be good enough to get them Champions League, no problem. But you need to have a manager who takes you to the next level if you're going to really challenge Bayern and I'm not sure that he's the manager to do that. This feels like a lot of vibes, doesn't it? As opposed, and, and Dortmund are quite good vibes full stop. But it, it does feel a bit like, okay, this bloke is loved by the fans. He did well in that kind of interim period before Rosa. Rosa obviously didn't kick them onto the level that they were expecting last season. I did think they'd give him a little bit more time, uh, you know, to kind of step up. And But you're also wondering, is Terzic the man to, you know, to tactically outthink Julian Nagelsmann? Now, Nagelsmann often outthinks himself, I think, sometimes. And I know we're going down the whole, uh, is, he, is, he, is he overcompensating? Is he over, you know, overthinking things? But I don't know if Terzic is the man to step Dortmund up. You know, I really like, bring, I really liked the idea of bringing Adeyemi and Alair in as the kind of replacement for Haaland's goals. Between them, I thought that was a relatively reasonable move. And, you know, obviously the Alair 
news and, and and the fact that he's he's going to be out for some time is is a is a blow to Dortmund and we saw them play Makoko in in the DFL Pokal game at the weekend Marlon and Adiemi on either side of Marco Royce now that is a fun three like Marlon Royce Adiemi and a lot of players coming in you know off the bench we're talking Hazard we're talking Julian Brandt Jamie Bino Gittens got off the bench as well so there's a lot kind of going on here and Dahoud and Bellingham is a fine pivot and Stotterbeck and Sula should sort out some or most of the issues that we saw in those areas last season. But I'm just not convinced that that's going to be enough to stop this Bayern juggernaut. So here's my concern here. Um, it, all the players you listed are great. Obviously, Allaire du- ducking out for a while. Uh, obviously, wish him all the best. But it's it's soured some of the more optimistic notes of, of, of Dortmund's pre-season. I think those that were, were pipping them for a, a title... A title win, you know, a lot of that was predicated on Alaire, and obviously you can sort of step away from that. I'm not even that worried about Terzic, who I think is is fine. He's okay for now. It makes some sense on certain levels. Mike, the way I see it is that the big teams are only ever as strong as their weakest link, and Dortmund's fullbacks are not are not in a good shape right now. I mean, Raf Guerrero just like seemingly wants to leave, um, and we don't know if he's whether going to make it to the summer with him intact. And on the right. You know, Mernier showed some signs of life, but it's it's not a fullback that I think can go up against the best and really come out of it okay. So I then start to look at Leipzig to move us on a little bit further. Is Angelino now available for transfer? Because they've just signed David Raum from Hoffenheim, who is going to obviously play. So are Leipzig silly enough to sell <laughs> Dortmund a player? if they can find an exit for Raf Guerrero. And there's a little merry-go-round to go here, I think, which could shape a little bit. Yeah, we had the managerial merry-go-round last summer. Maybe mm. we'll have a, a left-back <laughs> merry-go-round, maybe maybe slightly less interesting than the managerial one. But yeah, Leipzig, I mean, if Leipzig move on Angelino, which is what they, they seem to be making noises that they're going to be doing, then yeah, why not? Why not go go to well, if you're Dortmund, Leipzig, don't in. do that. Don't strengthen a rival. But if you're here, <laughs> then why not? Yeah, yeah, it feels absolutely. like a nice fit, doesn't it? Lovely. I suppose the the question, kind of, to flip it back to Dortmund very briefly, do Dortmund need to find a right back then? Because if they've let Ansgar Nauf go out on loan again to Frankfurt, I thought he'd come back in and challenge for well, that a, right back slot. Eighteen month loan, so I think they're locked out of it, mate. I think I think they never saw him being this good. Mm. Which, it's just it feels like a it feels like a very strange place for Dortmund to be in because if they do see that as a long term option and they have to just wait another twelve months for it, you don't really bring someone in. And is Thomas Mernier good enough to run the entire year with that with that happening? It depends what your ambition is at the end of the day, doesn't it? That depends. Mm, I suppose it does. Um, let's talk Leipzig then. Yeah, Leipzig, really interesting team to talk about. I, I've already mentioned that that maybe I'm a little bit lower on Leipzig than than a lot of other people, largely because of the the weirdness of what they had last season. So obviously started with Jesse Marsh, who lasted 13 games or whatever it was. And it just once he left the... The well, the, for me, performances stayed pretty similar. I mean, obviously, Jesse Marsh is a is a coach who's gonna he's gonna give you lots of chances, but he's also going to give up lots of chances as well. Domenico Tedesco comes in, and suddenly they 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 sit a lot deeper. They're trying to hit on on the break. They're they're much more conservative in terms of giving up chances themselves. So you see the expected goals against dropping right down, but also the expected goals dropping down as well. And it, actually, if you compare the data between 
uh, Marsh and and Tedesco. There's not a huge amount of difference between them really, other than play style. Um, they're still putting up about the same amount of XG difference. Um, so yeah, I was I, I I I've not been convinced by Tedesco, but I mean. As we always say with managers who come in midway through a season, you have to give them uh, the benefit of a preseason and, and get, give, get a sense of, of what it is that they're going to do. But they they also did rely very heavily, I think, on Christopher Nkunku last season. And the question is is going to be, well, he's he signed another uh, contract, so he will be around. But is he going to be hitting quite the same levels of performance that he hit last season in the current mm-hmm. season? And I think that's mm-hmm. the big question for them. And and if he isn't hitting those levels, like where are they getting that upside from? Yeah, I mean. It- on Nkunku, you know, we it remains remains to be seen is the official answer, of course. Uh, but he was he was at a strike rate that was basically parallel with the game's true greats in terms of goal return, goal contributions, and XG over performance. Uh, I remember looking yeah. at the Champions League XG over performance uh, for the whole season, and the top five, you know, were Ronaldo, um, Benzema. And then there's a who else was it? One more um, Lewandowski, and then it was uh, Nkunku and Darwin. And yeah, you've got three established elite forwards, and two guys who have just elbowed their way onto the table and said, "Look at me, look at me." And 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 what we need to figure out and what this season will tell us is just how good a finisher is Christopher Nkunku on a long term basis. And I guess when you're looking at that data and you're saying actually not that much change, Tedesco made them more solid and less leaky, but the XG per 90 came down as well. Presumably, they're just making the most of Nkunku there and he's making the difference to make it so that those underlying stats turn into results. Yeah, yeah, I think so. They've not really done much in the window, have they? We've already mentioned David Raum. Uh, they brought in Zava Schlager as well. He uh, is a player that I like. Yeah, it, uh, but it's one of those ones you're like, well, that makes sense, Proper Red Bull, yeah. isn't it? Proper Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, I think he was, did he start a leafering? Like he was yeah, like yeah. properly yeah. went through oh, the yeah. whole... He's a whole com- he is a company man. <laughs> he, he literally has wings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he cries red bull tears yeah, exactly. <laughs> um yeah great great signing but like n- neither of those two signings necessarily make me enthusiastic that they're suddenly going to become like a really really dangerous um attacking attacking presence i know they've got a lot of exciting players in there but so far under tedesco it just hasn't really seemed to to click so far maybe the preseason will make that difference but um I think that it'll. I mean, I didn't get the sense from the Super Cup at the weekend that, that that was necessarily the case. So it's interesting to see Andre Silva coming on and making a big difference in that game. I thought, but um, yeah, still obviously a bit of uh, of a way for those guys to go before I, I start thinking that they are going to be genuine title contenders. Yeah, I wondered if Alexander Solok coming back in off that spell at Real Sociedad, which was you know, relatively successful, I would say, at the, at the very least, would come in and, and, and be a part of this now and, and, and kind of like, also, you know, play play as a an Andre Silva understudy, but he wasn't even in the squad. So, you know, you're looking at that and thinking, well, if, if that's not going to, if not, that's not how it's going to be, then who comes in here and, and, and makes this attacking force different? And you've seen a lot of those players come back from loan spells and be looking for other places to go. And, you know, Adamola Lookman, Elijah Mariba, the, you know, these players are are not even being included. And I think that when you're looking at that and thinking, well, how does this now, how does this now change? Um, and, and who has a space in this? You look at the benches at the weekend and look, I know Leipzig are hurting a bit with, with injuries and whatever, but the fact that they had two less players on the benches 
than than Bayern, I think spoke for itself in that, you know, Tedesco clearly has the players he trusts and the players he doesn't. And it's going to be very hard for those players to make break back in. And considering the signings, as you say, haven't been overwhelming, it's going to be very interesting where they where they go now. Well, if they're not looking outward, they have to look inward. And the one player on on the squad that just didn't really do anything last year, according to his talent level, is Danny Olmo. Yeah. And so if they do need something to change, if they do need an extra person to step up, then their best bet is to revive something out of Danny Olmo because he's absolutely awesome. But for whatever reason, last year basically didn't happen for the guy. Um, I don't know if he even fits into what Tedesco wants to do in terms of a um, a system right now because obviously he operated with that front too. Um, but yeah, if they do find themselves searching for answers, actually the most cost-effective solution is to take a look inward on that one. Uh, so Leipzig do remain a big a big question mark. Um, although like John, you know, last year, obviously bad start, you know, and they, you have the heart of your team ripped out of you like that. Sabitzer and Upper Meccano and your manager. And I know they've got, you know, old Orban at the back there, but you've, you've ended up with lots of excitement over players like Simakan and Gvardiol, but it's a lot of 21 year olds and it's very difficult to recover from that immediately and just start playing properly again. So I wasn't really surprised to see them dip off at all. I think I might have a little bit more faith than you that they can keep that momentum going into this season. And I would put them ahead of Leverkusen, who really... haven't done that much either this summer, have they? Yeah, it's very funny because I have I had a sense that... Um, what's his name? Mudrick. Mudrick, yeah. Who plays for Shakhtar, had signed for them. But when I was doing my due diligence, I couldn't find any evidence that that had happened in the it end. It was supposed to happen. I don't know exactly what did happen, but apparently he had personal terms agreed and stuff like that. Um, but there's been all sorts of difficulties, haven't there? Signing players off Shakhtar. Jack, you can speak to the Mala Solomon situation. Maybe he got the same problem. Hmm. Yeah, well, the, I think the other thing is that, you know, we've, we've read quite a lot of interesting things from the higher ups at Shakhtar. And, and, and one of the kind of points that they were making was in the Champions League, they want to play with an almost all Ukrainian squad to kind of be a bastion of we're still here and we're still fighting, which is obviously something to be admired. But I do wonder if the whole situation has meant that they're like, OK, we'll let players leave but we actually would like to keep our homegrown players for maybe an extra year in order that we can we can make this point and hopefully by the time you know the next summer comes around this whole situation is is far less difficult i mean i'm not you know at this point i think that's speculation rather than anything else but if that was to happen and then they can start to bring players back in, et cetera, et cetera, then maybe that's the moment where Mujic will leave. And maybe they've just had to say to him, look, we, we can't, we, you know, we've had a lot of foreign based players leaving. They're all we gone can't afford, Yeah. We can't afford to keep, to, to lose you as well, considering that we've had, you know, unexpected departures. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a certain amount of sense. And I, I guess the only player of note they brought in then is Adam Hlozek of, of Sparta Prague, who, who again, an exciting player, but you'd, you'd expect them to have to make more signings, right? Than that to, to really kick on to the next level. True, but they haven't, lost, they haven't yeah. really lost anyone, have they? They, 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 were, they lost Lucas Solario, which, yeah, which I, I, I thought was a bit of a strange what a strange one. I mean, obviously, Klozek come in as that kind of player and, and also they signed Sada Asmoon last year and, and then it was like a pre-contract agreed and it was all a bit odd um, at sort of towards the end of last season. So I assume that in Klozek and, and Asmoon, they assume that they're going to be the replacement players to, to work on that burden that Alario had. But he was a wonderful goal scorer and he's got a lot of important goals for Bayer Leverkusen last season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we need to talk about Florian Wirtz, right? Because oh, yeah. like for me, the, one of the reasons why I think I'm high on Leverkusen is because when they lost Wirtz at the end of 
last season, I thought they would just bomb. And I think of, of any of any of the top four teams, they probably had the the strongest um, end of the season, really. So um, obviously, this is going to be back at some point. They're going to miss him until they, they do bring him in. But um, I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on, on that aspect, that they, they still seemed like a, a pretty decent outfit under Sewani. Yeah, I mean, it was notable that they didn't just collapse. Um, and I don't just mean you know, when Vietz was was hurt, but I mean, as in, in that final stretch, as you say, you know, the, yeah. Leverkusen have a reputation. They have a, a bit of a nasty nickname and, you know, they do tend to throw these opportunities away. And I think we we're all just kind of pleasantly surprised that they just kind of trucked on over and finished the job. So fantastic to be able to do that. Maybe Vietz stepping back in is is kind of like the last piece there to, to sort of reignite the team. They've kept Musa Diaby despite, you know, big interest from Newcastle. They've got a, a whole host of talented players, really, haven't they, at the end of the day? And towards the end of the season, I remember you know, Demibai missed the last four games. They didn't they didn't miss a beat. They have reasonable depth. They have too many centre-backs to know what to do with. You know, <laughs> everyone wants all of their centre-backs um, now that Jonathan Tarr is looking a bit better as well. So not so concerned about that. Um, and surely, I think, imagine Frimpong is back and, and good, good to go. And he was a really important part of their team when he was fit last season. So... Yeah, lots to be pleased with, no doubt. And it's a young core that keeps improving. Um, I just think maybe on a quality level, it doesn't quite stack up to what I think Dortmund and Leipzig could be. But it's much of a muchness, isn't it? And they are my top four too. Yeah, I'm 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 high on them as well, John. I I really like this side, and I think they're inc- one. They're incredibly fun to watch. They did a very classic Leverkusen, had a good preseason, and then crashed out at the weekend in the first round of the Pokal to Elversberg, who are a lower <laughs> league team, which is just very vintage. You're like, oh, this is a this is a side. You're like, okay, do I think Leverkusen are going to win the league? No, but. Could they win the could they win the Pokal? And you're going, yeah, maybe actually. That's a, that seems like a reasonable thing. And they crash out with a you know relatively strong side this. You know, it wasn't it wasn't they you know did it did it wrong and accidentally played the youngsters and and ultimately paid the price. This is a side that had Shik, Klozek, Asmund, Diaby, Aaron Gies, Tap Sober and Kasunu as the back two. You're you're kind of looking at it and going, mm, you probably shouldn't be losing this game, if we're being perfectly honest. Um and it felt like a very Leverkusen manoeuvre to to kind of do this at this exact point. Obviously, it's going to take some time to gel with, with, with these new players. And you know, Asmund kind of played as a ten. It was a bit it was a bit odd in 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 some respects. But Soane's done a great job, I think, last season, and and now needs to kick on. Um, but this first bit without Florian Wirtz is going to be difficult. And and I suppose I could probably, I'd probably like to see them bring another midfielder in here to sit in the pivot because, you know, Andrich and, and Angie's are, are excellent players, but I think they're going to need some more in there across the course of a season, especially with Champions League football. I think we're going to see Demobai playing in there a lot, to be honest. I think he's going to, yeah. win. I think he's going to have to end up there. And there's because, Ezekiel because... Palacios as well. So it's, it's not that there's, there's no depth in, in there, but I just think that they might need another body that they can trust and and maybe who can actually a little bit of a wise head in there as well to to be able to just guide this side a little bit tough job to replace Baumgartlinger one of the biggest names in football literally literally yeah yeah I think maybe just a final thing on on Leverkusen just in terms of the creativity we've obviously talked about Florian Wirtz and he's obviously the the creative fulcrum around which that that team looked great at the beginning of last season and the, the question for me is can they be creative enough in those early games when they're missing him and, and how far how far down the line are they going to be 
when when he actually comes back. And when does mm. he come back? Does he miss? Because the World Cup's a bit awkward for him, isn't it? You know, usually I think you'd be looking at November here, um, but in November we stop for a bit, so um, he might he might be in a race against time to get back. You know, for October, you know, he'll still have an eye on that Germany squad if he can get back. Okay, I think it's a bit of a long shot, but he it might be so awkwardly placed this World Cup that he's nearly ready at the end of October, but he doesn't get to play until January. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredibly long break for for the non World Cup playing players in the German uh, German clubs, isn't it? Because yeah. obviously the, Germany going straight back into the the winter break after the World Cup, so it, it just stretches on and on. Yeah, it's like yeah. literally two months off. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'd love it. It's great. It's great if you can. It's nice work if you can get it. It's I think that's the I would probably. Everyone use. should be joining exactly. Bundesliga clubs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's get into tier two, if we will. Yeah, so I've just called this like the the Thursday night European group. Thursday, uh, club. Club. Thursday club. Thursday club, yeah. Um, so this is Union Berlin, uh, SA Freiburg and, and Köln as well. And and those are the, the the three teams that I suppose, maybe not surprised that, that one or t- two of them got there, but the fact that all three ended up getting those other European places maybe surprised a few people. Mm. Um, and just... I mean, as a Freiburg fan myself, I was a little bit surprised we ended up with Europe anyway. But um, the, obviously, the impact of of these three teams going into Europe means that they essentially are playing almost a completely different competition, uh, and the the structure of their and the schedule of their of their seasons is going to look very different to what it was last season. Um, so the big big questions about whether or not each of these um, these clubs has the depth to to actually retain. Um, the, the sort of momentum that they had at the end of last season. I suspect probably not for, for, for most of them. And so that will bring us to to the next group eventually. But yeah, interested to hear your thoughts on on Union Berlin, Freiburg and Köln. I mean, honestly, I, I like to think I know a bit about football, but the most of the players that these three clubs have signed, I don't know them. And it really bothers me. Like I've been trying to brush up on these guys and just to check in to see where they stand I mean, the one takeaway is that, for example, Union Berlin have been very busy. You know, they've signed like legitimately about 10 players. And on top of that as well, they lost Awanyi to Forest. So they had to go out and find like another number nine, um, uh, in addition to the fact that they had to bulk out the squad completely. But yeah, it's really bothering me that I'm looking at them and I'm like, I don't really know who they are. So I'd like to ask you for your thoughts, John McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am gonna I'm gonna claim the same ignorance because it feels like there's a group of of clubs in the Bundesliga who've done a lot of of recruitment within Germany itself. Um, there's obviously like players being brought in from the Eredivisie and some of the the, the neighbouring leagues as well. But it does feel like there's a huge amount of, of of swapping that's going on between a lot of these clubs in the in the in the off off season so um yeah interesting seeing like players like Yannick Harbour are going to Union Berlin from Freiburg and then Freiburg uh bringing in Michael Gregoric from Augsburg and sending um uh Ermedim Demirovic back as well um I'm excited about Freiburg I think Freiburg have done good activity really actually and there's a few big-ish names there but the you're you're very right in saying that the other two the other two clubs like you look through that list and you're like yeah no no idea who they are, but yeah, for Freiburg they brought in Ritsu Doan from PSV Eindhoven. I like that a lot. Yeah, and he's looked absolutely fantastic so far in preseason and in the and the Pokal game. Sort of dragged us from the the brink of dropping out of a competition that we got to the final in last season. So yeah, that was nice to see. And then obviously Matthias Ginter um, coming in from Borussia Mönchengladbach to return to to the club that that sort of got him to the to the elite level. Uh, Michael Gregoric, as we've 
already mentioned, and then Daniel Coffey Kyrie, um, who a lot of people know from from San Paoli as well. So interesting um, players in, but whether or not it's going to be enough to to maintain that level, I think that is going to be required to to um, to play on, in, in those two competitions at the same time. I think uh, Christian Streich, the the manager, is someone who is very particular and structured in his preparation and obviously he's used to um having like a full week to prepare and this is going to accelerate that those that that schedule up and uh, the last time i remember freiburg being in in europe european competition it was very miserable so um whether or not that's going to be a continuation is a, is, a, is another question last time freiburg were in europe i mean was that back when they had um Cisse? It wasn't that far back, actually. It was um, they they got knocked out in the playoffs, and I I I want to say twenty sixteen or seventeen. Um, they they got knocked out. I think it was to some Hungarian club to to, to try and get into the. Yeah, I should have checked this out, oh, but um, so yeah, it was very in, yeah some Hungarian club. Oh, got to shield yourself <laughs> from it. But uh, the Union yeah. Berlin stuff that is like literally about ten players in. Um, I like yeah. some of these quite a yeah. lot. Um, Mort- I think Morton me getting Torsby the is a good yeah. Player. I like Morton Torsby a like lot. Proper powerhouse centre mid. Uh, Diogo Leite, like I don't know exactly how he's got on in Portugal, but obviously he comes from great stock at, at Porto. And then you're not supposed to call him this, are you, Jordan Sirbacu? Well, so he's come out and said you can call him either. I think um, he, it, depending on whether he's playing for the US or in the Bundesliga, he actually he goes by two separate names. So it's, he's. Jordan Pefok or Jordan Sabatio, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, so, but either way, and whichever which, whichever name he's going by, um, this feels like a this feels like a good replacement, Felony, because this was going to be a tricky thing to achieve. But he's you know someone who comes from you know a good a, another couple of good seasons, young boys, and and has you know impressed pretty much when he's played in, in European competition. I thought this was smart business. Yeah, yeah. It does. I mean, again, it, and the same thing as well. It's classic because they've sold a one year for like 15 million rising and they've signed Jordan uh, for five, you know, so they've uh, they've gone and found a really good, a really good striker of proven quality, fits the, fits the bill quite nicely. And they've, they've gone and made 10 million on him as well, which can fund the other eight signings. But um, John, you're talking about the schedule here and how demanding it's going to be. We, we, we're looking, you know, we keep talking about how, clubs like Man City are going to cope with, you know, five games in the space of like 14 days, more or less, because they're going to go weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend. And now you just go, it just notches up a level, doesn't it? When you look at someone like Union Berlin, who they've picked up the uh, the quantity, but we'll see on the quality. And I guess that opens the door for your next tier, because while this lot have Thursday nights to contend with, the next lot do not and as we know, that can really make a difference in surging back up the league. Yeah. Yeah, my next tier is called Could Be Good Now, maybe. Um, <laughs> and I think that this is the big thing for the the three clubs that we've just talked about there, who are, who now have that Thursday night um, impetus. I think a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about now, so I've got in this group, I've got Mainz, Eintracht Frankfurt, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, Hoffenheim and Wolfsburg, questions about whether I could have included Stuttgart here as well, but we'll get onto that um, as we move on to the next group. But all of these teams feel as though they had like a bit of a blip last season in certain ways or other. I think maybe that's harsh on, on Mainz, I think, but the, the other clubs you would expect to be maybe um, moving up the table. And I think that that's in part why those the three teams in the tier above were able to finish in those European places. So it's not only that they've got to 
have this increased schedule that they're facing. They're also going to have to deal with the fact that some of these clubs below them might actually start to get their act together uh, and and start climbing the table themselves. So, yeah, I think with, with that in mind, it's 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 going to be interesting to, to, to hear from you guys, actually, who you think are going to be the clubs who are going to be challenging for those European spots um, out of all of these those, those clubs that I've just named. Who'd, who are the ones that you think are really going to be um, that have the impetus and momentum to, to get into the Europa League and the Europa Conference League? Well, you know, uh, my biased self wants to say Eintracht um, as they're my my German club, but of course they are in the Champions League, so something for them to contend with. Uh, although I do think that they've done some some relatively decent business. Like I, I really like Alario, their great great depth. They picked up Randall Kolomowani as well on a free from Nantes, who's a really good player. Uh, and Mario Gutz is a really heartwarming signing, just like a really nice piece of proven quality. They sort of dropped off a bit, didn't they, when Jesper Lindstrom was 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 injured and wasn't able to to go towards the end of the season. And getting that depth is really important. But with Champions League, there, like again, they're going to suffer from the same thing that the pe- previous tier did. So I'd like to say Gladbach, but they appear to be in all sorts of like questionable turmoil themselves. That hasn't really resolved itself. Half the squad seems like it's up for sale, um, and we don't really know exactly how that's going to pan out. So. Again, I'm not. I, I don't think it's going to be Wolfsburg. Uh, I can't necessarily say Eintracht. I can't necessarily say Gladbach. I mean, Mainz has sold the defence. You know, does that help? No, not really. <laughs> and the storyline with Hoffenheim is it looks like Ozan Kabak has got himself another new club. He's on a world tour. Yeah, and he's got a really bad reputation in terms of like I think every club he's played for in like the last four seasons has been relegated. So make of that what you will. Oh, it's the old yeah. Leroy Fur of the Bundesliga or, or well of <laughs> Europe, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I'm a bit concerned about this mine's defensive issue, but I do have an almost unshakable faith in Bo Svensson as a manager, um, and I think he has made for, for for good things. And some of these signings I I really like as well. You know, Danny De Costa is an old pod favourite, a rumbler down that right hand side. Is he the OG um, rumbler? He is the OG <laughs> rumbler. Um, and Angelo Fulgini, who came in from Angers, uh, you know, is a is a real creative hub. Um, so, so there's lots to, to like going forward, I think, at, at Mines. Um, but this defensive situation worries me. Obviously, they lost John Paul Boetius as well because he's out of a contract. I'm not quite sure what's happening with that contract situation, but it doesn't look like he's going to be there. Um, and if you lose Nierkarte and St. Juice, you're, you're going to be struggling, I think. So it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that. On paper, Mines feel like they probably should have been a little bit further into this conversation last season and and kind of dropped away because after you know they had a couple of really good runs of form um and they they were very very streaky but it, it does feel like they they're kind of waiting to for the moment and and if they can find some consistency i think they're maybe the best place of these teams from where they were last season to kind of make that jump but i am relatively interested in Wolfsburg, who i think have made some smart moves um and also who who seem like you know with, with Nico kovac in charge there it's gonna be very interesting to see how he does considering mm. all things that where Wolfsburg kind of struggled last season yeah i think Wolfsburg are a really interesting um, I think all of these teams are really interesting prospects, right? Because as I said before, like continuity, I think is so important. And for, for all the, the clubs who you think, oh, you know, there's a certain amount of continuity with managers and stuff. There's been a lot of overturn of players. Uh, and then we've got, yeah, 
clubs like Wolfsburg who have brought in Nico Kovac. They've got in some fun players, Matthias Svanberg from Bologna. Big fan. Big fan. Patrick Wimmer, everyone's favourite um, from Armenia Bielefeld. Um, and even even some sort of fun players around the around the edges, like uh, I guess someone like Omar Mamouche, who has been at Stuttgart on loan and has looked pretty good there. And it's sort of questions about whether or not he's going to fit in there. Um, and with a new manager, maybe he could break through. And you've got Josep Bracalo, who maybe hasn't kicked on as well as people expected. We love Bracalo. Um, we think he's fantastic. He was great yeah. for Torino last season as well, whenever I saw him. Like a real live wire. Um, I can't believe they loaned him out, to be honest with you. So it yeah, like, didn't that, feel like a particularly smart move in, in kind of any situation, but alas. But yeah, I'm, I'm sort of interested to see what happens with Wolfsburg. Maybe not that high on Nico Kovac, but he, he obviously had a, a great time with, with Frankfurt the first time around and maybe things haven't gone as, as well since then. But uh, he's definitely got the, the pedigree to be able to do something with a club of this stature in the Bundesliga. So um, yeah, potentially Wolfsburg could, could do okay, but... Again, I just I just don't want to put my cards on the table because there's so much up in the air. I, think- I, I like this midfield too of Wimmer and Svanberg a lot. I, and obviously, Nemec is there. There's Jonas Vind, who, who we feel yeah. like is probably a, you know a better player than he perhaps displayed last season. I'm not massively high on Vaudschmidt, but you know, Rilabaku's in here. Maxence Lacroix was you know last season was one of the most kind of in-demand defenders in in Europe and stayed around and looks like he's going to be there again. And Cohen Castells is someone that, that we've loved for ages. So there's a lot here that you're looking at and going, okay, um, this this all makes sense. The setups here, I think in terms of depth of these squads and, and actually the players you're looking at, Wolfsburg are probably the preeminent side here in terms of personnel. It's just a question of whether Kovac can get the best out of this team in a way that Kofeld couldn't. Yeah, I like. I've, I kind of feel the same about Gladbach, you know. Um, and obviously, it all basically, it it was all just basically awful last season, as it was for a lot of these clubs that we're talking about. It just went spectacularly wrong. But you're going through the Wolfsburg side there, and you're talking about the players, and I'm nodding in agreement. But I'm also thinking about you know Marcus Taram bounce back season. I'm thinking about Florian Neuhaus. I know they lost Ginter, but Elvedi's good. Ben Sabaini, when he's fit, I think he's a really good player. I go through the team, and I'm like, well, it's the same with all of them. You should be better. They're all going to yeah. be fighting each other to get better. Um, and so for you guys, for this, where it's maybe Wolfsburg, I'm look, still looking at Gladbach there. Although they did appoint Daniel Farker, who I do think is one of the more naive managers in world football. Um, also, his like relentless possession style play is going to look really out of, like, out of, uh, what's the phrase, out of sorts here, uh, uh, out of the ordinary in the Bundesliga, isn't it? If he takes what he was using at Norwich. It's very it's very it's the antithesis of the Bundesliga frenetic football. But I feel as though that's what Gladbach want, right? They they have that sort of romantic ideal and having Adi Hutter last last time around very much not playing that romantic ideal of football. It'll be interesting to see whether or not uh, whether or not he can get a little bit more out of this team playing in this way. But like you say, it's just it's so hard to to say because obviously with Daniel Farker anyway, like how do you judge him? Like he's been incredible in the championship and then it's just not worked out in the Premier League. It's hard enough to judge him as it is before sort of throwing him into this into this um, new club where, the, relatively speaking, they've done nothing in the transfer window really, right? Yeah, really, yeah it's nothing. very, very quiet. But they haven't lost too much, have they? Mbolo, Mbolo's gone, but, you know, Coadio Kone is still there. The other players I mentioned yeah. still there. If If five of them get back to their normal level, they immediately tick up. I think, uh, of course, you can say that for Wolfsburg too, and the others. Very interesting, John. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Quadio Kone as well. I, I'm looking through the squad now, and I just kind of think they've got a brilliant first eleven. Gladbach, maybe not quite so much depth as 
as as a team like Wolfsburg and, and ability to change things up as they go. A few players in there, as you've mentioned, who are going to need to have comeback seasons, um, maybe not hit the, the levels that we've expected from them as well. So that's up in the air as well. Which takes us quite nicely onto the final group, John, which is, I'd imagine, a, oh God, you could be in trouble here. Yeah, yeah, basically. And again, there's a lot of teams in here, but it's just so hard to, to judge. I think the, the, the sort of outlier here is that you've got so many big clubs get coming back now into into the Bundesliga it feels it feels almost as though there's that there's like traditional clubs all the way through apart from I guess maybe Bochum and and uh, yeah the, the like but the, the fact that we're talking about Schalke here we're talking about Werder Bremen we're talking about Hertha Berlin of all clubs I mean Hertha Berlin of one of the one of the the most subscribed to clubs in in Germany and one of the best off clubs in Germany in terms of the finance side of things um we're talking about big clubs here. We're not talking about the usual, the usual players here, like teams like Armenia Bielefeld, mm. teams like that. We are talking Bring about back big, Eintracht Braunschweig, big John. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Groy the Firth, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is this, these are all big big sides. So yeah, I've got Stuttgart in here. Um, I've mentioned that they could be another one in in the, maybe the tier above. Um, they're obviously they've obviously not had a great few seasons with um, Pellegrino Matarazzi, but they they they've done it with him in the past in the Bundesliga, um, and it feels as though they've they've had a lot of weird stuff going on off the field as well, right? Which um, yeah. I, I think now is probably behind them. So uh, you could include them in in that that club. I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the tier above of, of sort of comfortable mid-table. Um, Hertha Berlin, again, who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think they know, here. which shouldn't is kind be of here at all. <laughs> shouldn't right? be anywhere near this tier. Yeah, but, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, I don't get it at all because actually the, the sort of structure they appear to put in place with the sporting director and stuff, like they took they took Eintracht's, you know, sporting director and stuff and I thought, yeah, you're going to be fine. And they are so not fine. So I sounded like Toto Wolf there, um, <laughs> but uh, they really are dancing with dancing with the devil every single year. Is this the year that they snap out of it? I don't know. I'd never put faith in it. I guess at least they don't have Felix Magat anymore. So <laughs> they say, a bit yeah, that is something, isn't it? It's something you can just <laughs> hang on to. It's been a bit of a weird window right because i hate to say nothing much has happened but you look at the people who've arrived at Hertha, in you know in this ins column and lots of them are just ends of loans but i wonder if they are players who come back in here and, and can have a say you know jojo kenny's obviously come back not not directly from a loan but has, has played in the bundesliga before look at is has come back from wolfsburg on a loan piontek's come back from fiorentina off a loan it just feels like a lot of people are coming back in and I'm like, are you expecting these people to make the difference? Um, you know, they've brought in like Ivan Sunic from, from Birmingham and there's a few more names here, but mostly I'm looking at this and going, are you expecting the players who you shipped out to come back and make a difference? Because at the moment, that's kind of what it looks like from a Herta perspective. Yeah, bringing in John Joe Kenny from Everton is is not the way that you stay up in the Bundesliga, is it? I, I don't think. But yeah, I, it it does blow my mind because it feels as though like even within the last two or three years, we were talking about like Hertha having all of this financial backing and and finally getting to the point that that you know Berlin would have a a, a club that it could be proud of, and it's it's turned it's out Union, that yeah. yeah, exactly, it's turned out to be Union. So yeah. Um, Berlin ist, ist blau, no longer. It's, it's now rote. So, yeah, 
I, it's like, impossible to read what Hertha are going to do. I, I think, like you say, even even with all of this in in mind, this this should still be a mid table. So, oh yeah, hundred um, percent. And and so that's kind of what I expect. But they always find ways to 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 sort of trip themselves up somehow. So I'm I'm interested to find out how that's going to be this season. They do. I mean, I yeah. suppose I suppose if they spent the last two years spending exorbitant sums on very average players, the the at least the best next step you can take is to spend not that much money on those average players, which appears to be the case. Like the transfer <laughs> spend step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. You're no longer just absolutely wasting money. The quality might stop, still not be there. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been very weird watching some of their business. Um, they have got a load mm. of people returning from loan, as Jack says. A lot of players that are about middle middle of the road Bundesliga players like Piontek and Luka Bakir and these guys, but yeah. we'll yeah. we'll have to see, I guess. I don't trust them at all. Uh, and in this little fight here, I will be supporting Stuttgart to show solidarity with a couple of our <laughs> patrons who are fond of Stuttgart. Yeah. I guess then we've got two other big clubs traditionally in, in Schalke and Werder Bremen. Um, this was good vibes came, coming up, came right? Up, yeah. it, obviously, there's a lot you want to support the underdogs, but sometimes seeing a fallen giant return to the top table is is quite a nice thing to witness. Um and obviously, it could have been three with with Hamburg in that playoff place that they, they obviously lost mm. to Hertha. But um, this feels like something that's good for that's good for the league. Yeah, I think so. As I said before, it feels like it's a very traditional Bundesliga. I know tradition isn't everything, obviously, but it does feel like a lot of the the names in in here are names that you would expect to see. People in, are saying that about the Premier League as well, aren't they? There's like a good parallel there. Like when Forest came up, and they were like, ah. Oh, mm. Good to see Forrest back. Proper Premier League club. <laughs> Those are the and it, like they actually haven't really been in the Premier League for absolutely ages, but they were in my sticker book. Yeah, which means they are absolute <laughs> Premier League heritage, and it's definitely got the same vibe to it in the Bundesliga. Well, Schalke, I mean Schalke. It's not just like oh, they're like Nottingham Forest. Schalke are one of the biggest yeah. clubs in German football history, right? And they're, they're what well, they third highest membership or something like that, like a huge amount of members, and uh, in in that really that really football populous area in the north in the northwest as well. Um, and they've made a lot of moves in them in the market. Yeah. They've got quite a lot of interesting names coming coming back or being moved in for the first time. So, just uh, Alex Kral. I'm from Spartak Moscow, who we sort of remember from from West Ham. Well, his we failure don't, there. David, we don't David Moyes is one to David Moyes one to watch. Yeah, <laughs> to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maya Yoshida similarly. Go on, Maya. Um, another, yeah, another uh, Premier League throwback. But players like Seb, Sebi mean, Polter used to play for yeah, QPR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexander Schwolo again um, coming in on loan from Hertha Berlin. He's had a bit of a fall of grace since he. Left, left Freiburg as well, um, and I mean Harry as well. I, I has he is he going to stay this summer, or is he is he off? Is he another one of these ones who is returning from loan and then is off out again? It just feels like you know he obviously left because he was like I am absolutely not playing in his vital yeah. Bundesliga. Um, now they're back, maybe he will. But then again, is that the kind of player you want in the in in the mix at that point? You know, Harry is definitely a wonderful talent and, and a joyful player to watch on his day. Uh, but equally, if you're like, do you want to be in a relegation fight? Because if you don't, we might maybe have to ship you off, pal. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there are lots of, lots of moves there. Um, again, I, I, I didn't keep up particularly with the slide of Bundesliga, so uh, I'm not entirely sure where, where Schalke are at. Neither where Werder Bremen as well, although Werder Bremen have made some interesting signings as well, right? Um Insofar as they brought in Oliver Burke again, Jeez. Bundesliga legend Oliver <laughs> yeah. Burke, um, Amos Pieper from from Armenia Bielefeld, who I think is a good 
centre-back for that level. Nicholas Stark from Hertha Berlin, Mitchell Weiser, um, his loan from Bayer Leverkusen was made permanent. And then Lee Buchanan from Derby. Oh, yeah. Very good. As you do. As yeah, you do. one of the few actually existing Derby players at one point, presumably, yeah. uh, when they were down to about five players at one point, weren't they? So, uh, yeah, interesting group of players being brought in there as well. I don't know if you guys have any sense of who you think are going to be the relegation favourites this time around. Nope, 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 nope. That is beyond. Well, this is the thing. Like, naturally, naturally you, you, you gravitate, and I think this is probably the case with any league. And like you say, you know, it's consistency. You don't expect promoted teams to, to come in and, and be challenging at the, in the top half of the table. You expect them to to normally come up and, and at least in the first year, to kind of be in that relegation fight. And, and you know, the, the kind of job one is to survive, right? That's that's what you do. And then you can build. But because it is because it is Werder Bremen, because it is Schalke, you're looking at it and going, well, you probably shouldn't be in these situations. And therefore, can you put them down as, as these kind of, uh, favorites if you will. Uh, just you know, everything about her to Berlin and, and the fact that and you know when we're talking about the teams and, and the players there yes it should be better but nothing has convinced me, until I see anything that's going to convince me otherwise I can't look at it and be like yeah they'll be better this year because I I can't I can't see it and, can't believe it, and it, yeah. it doesn't feel it feels weird I know but Jack you know you are you, say, you know saying it's, t- it's tough to come up and 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 sort of make that impact but you know and you're saying if anyone can do it, it might be them. But you know, the last the last team that did it was Union Berlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anything is genuinely possible there. Um, but mm. no, as, as we drip down the table, John. You know, once we get to about twelfth, my uh, my level of expertise starts to drop. Um, there's no think there's any shame in that. But it does make for a wonderful and weird battle between probably those six or seven clubs. And there do appear to be a mm. lot of clubs in that mix. I don't think you can say the same for a cl- for a league like the Premier League, which again. Adds just an extra layer of intrigue, a different part of the table for Germany. And, and when when Bayern do feel so dominant, you do kind of need those storylines budding up throughout the table, not just at the very top. So it's good to see it could be so close down there and it could make for some interesting mm. watching. Yeah, the two clubs that we haven't mentioned, Augsburg and, and Bochum, I mean, obviously, Augsburg are just, they're always there and thereabouts, it feels like, like that nothing ever seems to change in that respect. But I'm hearing good things about their new manager, uh, Enrico Masson. Uh, I don't know much about him, but they've just brought him in from uh, Borussia Dortmund Zwei, uh, the second team in, in Dortmund. And I hear good things about him. So um, maybe that will, will change things around there. And obviously, Bochum still have Thomas uh, Rice as well, um, who, who, yeah, put just fairly impressive season for them last season. But again, as we've said, there's so many teams here that we're considering as potential relegation candidates that I think so much of it is going to come down to momentum out of the blocks um, early on and and see see where you get from and there. Injuries, so probably like with, well, like also Augsburg have. Augsburg have the uh, the glorious and Sam and my favourite partnership in youth football for years of, of Meyer and Dorsch in the middle, um, yeah. which is great, um, and they are both great. And but it's you know a question of how much you can get them in there together and and, and making actual strides that they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Also, um, Augsburg's charm has been that they're absolute bastards to play against, aren't they? Uh, that's kind of been that's kind of been their charm. They're just they're just awful, absolutely Stodgy. awful to come up against. So difficult to tackle on the 90 minute basis. And I mean, obviously I don't know, I don't know anything about their new manager, but as long as they, they continue to forge that identity and be just that really difficult customer, the Bundesliga is a league that you can survive in year on year on year using that, using that, uh, that style. And that's what they've done. And if they stay true to it, I would, I would back them to just carry on. 
Yeah, and this is the beauty of the Bundesliga, right? That's why we love it because the the the, the financial disparity between the the top and the bottom is relatively speaking actually massive compared to other leagues. Uh, and so I think once you get through those those few teams at the top who are challenging for the the Champions League, you then get a very you get a very level playing field. I think. I mean, Freiburg for years were were sort of bottom four or five in terms of the wage bill. Uh, in in the league, and they've managed to consistently finish mid table through really smart recruitment and really smart coaching from Christian Strike. So, yeah, it's it's what I love about the the Bundesliga. I know maybe maybe us Bundesliga fans have have just become Bundesliga pilled in some sense because we know that you know Bayern win the league every every season, and so we find our enjoyment elsewhere. But I do think that there's so much to get from the league. Um, because there are these like little these these the the competitiveness once you get past the top is so high yeah. um, that you, you you do get a really great entertainment um, from it despite the fact that most people wouldn't agree necessarily yeah absolutely well we love it too and uh, hopefully we get a bit more of it broadcast in England this year would be nice wouldn't it. Yeah, it'd be good. It'd be good. It'd be nice to see some more of it on uh, instead of having to, you know, wander around looking for locations to watch. Yeah. Um, it would be good if the if, if it was actually on the channels it's advertisers being on. But alas, uh, we do our best with what we are <laughs> given. If only a massive broadcaster like Sky TV had the rights, right? Because yeah, then would it would be better, always be it? on. Yeah, it'd be much better. Um, but on that note, <laughs> I think we are going to call this podcast today. Um, and all that's really left me to do is to say thank you so much to John McKenzie for joining us. John, where can our listeners find you yeah just find me on twitter i put most of my stuff out there so at john without an h underscore mckenzie and mckenzie has an a after in between the m and the c it's really really snappy name that one <laughs> yeah it's really easy one to to discover um sam thank you so much cheers mate. Ever. cheers mate yes we've got a what we're one down how many to go on the on the preview season well, one we'll be doing our Wednesday pod. We'll have the Premier League show. We will be doing a Friday preview of both Liga and the Primera before they kick off this weekend. And then next week we'll be doing extra previews on La Liga and Serie A. So this is your one-stop shop uh, for all the top six European League previews. And um, thank you so much for listening. As ever, we will see you later on in the week. Take it easy. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.